0: Take the time now to check your smoke detector's batteries, because here there be dragons. You're listening to The Quibbler Podcast, the Harry Potter book
1: club for monster hoarders. I bet you'll think twice about breaking a school rule again, won't you, eh? Oh, yes. Hard work and pain are the best teachers, if you ask me. It's just a pity they let the old punishments die out. Hang you by your wrists from the ceiling for a few days. I've got the chains still in my office. Keep them well-oiled in case they're ever needed. Right, off we go. And don't think of running off now. It'll be worse for you if you do.
2: I'm Heather Price-Wright.
0: And I'm Alex Dallenberg.
2: Welcome to episode 5. What are we talking about this week? We are talking about so many monsters.
0: A lot of monsters.
2: This week we read chapters 14, Norbert the Norwegian Ridgeback, and 15, The Forbidden Forest. This podcast will contain spoilers... For this and future Harry Potter books. Adult language and plenty of it and adult themes. This week's adult themes are cruel and unusual punishment, attachment parenting strategies of dragons, astrology, bestiality because y'all who did what to which to make a centaur, drinking the blood of the innocent, and peer pressure which is rude.
0: Those are really good adult themes this week.
2: (laughs) <laughs> They're all for They're grown-ups. Like,
0: Those are some legitimately adult themes.
2: Yeah, astrology <laughs> is particularly adult because people be meddling in the stars. Mercury is in retrograde, ladies and gentlemen, for Harry, forever.
0: Mars is bright tonight.
2: So, Alex, what happened this episode?
0: Mars is bright tonight.
2: <laughs> are you being friends?
0: Mars is bright So, in these chapters, Harry, Ron, and Hermione are putting their nose to the grindstone for their wizard tests. Meanwhile, Hagrid wins a dragon egg in a bar while getting simultaneously very drunk. Shenanigans ensue at Hagrid's hut as he tries to raise a dragon, as Hermione points out, in a wooden house. Draco gets wind at this dragon and wants to start some Draco shenanigans, so they gotta smuggle this illegal monster out of the school. For some reason, this falls on Harry, Ron, and Hermione, and not Hagrid, so they have to concoct a plot to sneak out the dragon, whose name obviously is Norbert, He's in Norwegian ridgeback. They phone up no, they don't actually phone up Charlie Weasley because they use birds to communicate. Uh they send an owl to Charlie Weasley, who happens to study dragons. He sends some of his bros to the tip topmost tower, the astronomy tower. They smuggle the dragon up there via invisibility cloak, feeling real good about themselves as the dragon flies off with the, the dragon, study bros. And in their excitement, they leave their invisibility invisibility cloak in the top of the tower and promptly get detention for being out that's of. That's so
2: <laughs> stupid. That part makes me so mad. They're just like, oh, we left the thing that makes yeah. us invisible, <laughs> idiots.
0: And Neville gets sucked into this detention and Malfoy too through some, you know, various running around. Harriet and Hermione are very unpopular because they lose Gryffindor a hell of a lot of arbitrary house points. And then they have to serve detentions. In the super forbidden and scary Forbidden Forest, and Hagrid's like, "Okay, you've all been deputized to hunt whatever evil monster is killing unicorns." So they go looking for unicorns. Some spooky hijinks ensue. They run. They're not. It's actually not hijinks. It's actually true peril.
2: Yeah, it's not yeah. hijinks. Like <laughs> it, what by spooky hijinks you mean? They yeah. almost are murdered by Voldemort. Yeah,
0: Harry encounters Voldemort in hooded form, who's been drinking this uni- um, unicorn blood. He gets bailed out by Ferenz, the centaur, who's like, fills him in on why maybe Voldemort would be drinking unicorn blood, because it keeps you alive until you can drink something better, which would be the elixir of life. So, anyway, da da da, Voldemort on the move, and we are speeding rapidly toward the climax of the Sorcerer's Stone.
2: Oh, yeah, everybody's climaxing. <laughs> Sorry, uh, that's a fucked up thing to say. The
0: climax of the search for the grubby little package.
2: <laughs> All right. So it's a really action-packed and exciting couple of chapters.
0: <laughs> it's really fun to me that it's another one of these kind of school set pieces, atmospherics. Hermione is like making them color-coded study charts in the beginning, and they're feeling super bummed out because they have, again, a shit ton of homework that Besides the star charts, I'm not really sure what they're doing. It's funny that they're frustrated by this because it's like, you're studying magic. Yeah. This sequence of bellyaching about studying magic is hilarious to me because, what, like seven months earlier at this point, you didn't even know magic existed, man. So, <laughs> That's
2: so true. And Hermione,
0: too. And now you're making insane potions and casting spells. And it's already boring. But in a way, this is also true to life. It's like the magical hedonic treadmill.
2: I actually had never heard that phrase until you used it. I don't know what that is.
0: So the hedonic treadmill is this concept in psychology. Humans return to a base level of happiness extremely quickly. It's why lottery winners are super psyched for... A fairly brief period of time, and then slowly, their mood returns to what it
2: right generally so, like, generally is. There's very few things that are actually going to like change, like altogether alter your quality of life, right? Because you get used to stuff. Yeah,
0: one of the few things we know is that uh, a short commute actually you always appreciate having well, a having a short commute. So anyway, the magical hedonic treadmill is on full display in so this true, chapter. It's so true because he. <laughs>
2: Harry is like, "Oh, it's so cool that we're magic." And then like 3 <laughs> weeks later, he's like, "Fuck transfiguration. I'm going to turn zero hedgehogs into pincushions. I'm so fucking over this." And it's like, <laughs> "You're transfiguring matter." <laughs> it's, but
0: it's, you know, in a
2: it's No, it, but it's real. Yeah, it's totally real.
0: It's so it seems crazy at first, but it's very it's very true to life. We're, oh, yeah, we're we're, we're fickle. We're fickle creatures.
2: We are. And we are really, really, really set in our ways, including our levels of overall well-being. Yeah. Ugh, that kind of blows. Well, I mean, it I actually... Got,
0: it's got off to a dark start.
2: Well, no, I mean, it's kind of a relief because um, I so badly wish that I went to Hogwarts, but clearly going to Hogwarts yeah. is just it's as not every, dumb not as going to regular old middle no. school. So it's a
0: low... Yeah. It's
2: definitely like a thing where they very, very, very quickly revert to really normal child reactions to homework as opposed to being... Although, I mean, it would be... Th- th- also, these books would be annoying if they were constantly they were, like, si- Oh, yeah,
0: yeah. that wouldn't, right. It wouldn't work at all.
2: No, but you're right. It is a really good example of the hedonic treadmill, which is a term I'm really glad I learned from you. It's very funny.
0: Root word, hedonism.
2: Yeah, that I got. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> There's two main things that happen here, and one of them is... One is a dragon. Right. One of them is that Hagrid... Hagrid gets his first of way too many monsters yeah. in this chapter. Hagrid's monster thing is so... It's a great character detail. I actually was thinking about this. It's a, Hagrid being too into monsters <laughs> is like a major plot propellant pretty frequently in this series.
0: I think in just about
2: every, every one of the first
0: five books, maybe yeah. not book six,
2: Hagrid gets a monster and all hell breaks loose. right? But I also think it's just Hagrid's monster thing is kind of, I mean, if we're going to psychoanalyze Hagrid, which, like, what are we here to do right. if not that? I think there's a lot to be teased out about Hagrid's feeling of being a monster himself and Hagrid's association wow, with that is, monstrousness. That is deep. Well, really, though, because, I mean, Hagrid, Yeah, you're right. Hagrid feels a lot more secure around... Not only non-humans, but around things that other people find repellent. And are
0: un- yeah, unloved. And
2: are unloved. And Hagrid has so much love to give. I mean, it's actually really... It's bonkers.
0: Well, he's very othered. Dumbledore makes him live in a shack. He doesn't even get to live in the I castle. I don't think he wants
2: to. He wouldn't fit. I don't no, think... That's true. Honestly, I think Dumbledore is a pretty loving parental surrogate to Hagrid. I think D- Dumbledore treats Hagrid too well. Hagrid <laughs> should be allowed to do slightly fewer things. <laughs> Uh, owning monsters is one of them.
0: I would trust Hagrid with my life.
2: Uh, yeah, he might, he might just go fucking buy a spider that would eat you, but <laughs> yeah. uh, he wouldn't mean to. No, but I mean, it's not even that Hagrid is into them in the way that people are sort of like, oh, sick! Look at my big old snake. Right. He demonstrates a lot of love toward these creatures, and I think it's because he feels unloved himself. I think Hagrid is doing this as sort of a proxy for. The affection that he never had because he grew up so freakish and so monstrous. And I mean, we find out later.
0: We learned that his father, he had a very good relationship with his father. But he died young. He died young, yeah. So,
2: I mean, actually, there's some parallels between Harry and Hagrid's upbringing, just in terms of the orphanhood, or at least not having two parents around and being alone a lot. But I think Hagrid. I think Hagrid feels like a monster. And I think he. One of the things he does is sort of pour out his. All of the love that he sort of felt like he lacked. Because the other thing he does is he really... He worries about the safety of monsters in a way that normal people wouldn't. Right. Like, he won't let Norbert... He won't release Norbert because he's afraid that Norbert will die. And Ron is like, that's mental. He's a fucking dragon.
0: <laughs> no, but, he's, a ba- he's a baby, But though. he's a
2: baby. And Hagrid sees... Hagrid
0: knows, knows his dragons.
2: Well, not only... No, but Hagrid sees creatures as vulnerable that other people don't imagine being vulnerable. And I think that's because Hagrid knows that he is vulnerable in ways that people don't expect because of how he looks and how he sort of, his affect. So he knows that even dragons can be hurt. Right. Which is kind of maudlin, but I think true.
1: Hagrid had Norbert packed and ready in a large crate. He's got lots of rats and some brandy for the journey, said Hagrid in a muffled voice. And I've packed his teddy bear in case he gets lonely. From inside the crate came ripping noises that sounded to Harry as though the teddy was having his head torn off. Bye-bye, Norbert. Hagrid sobbed as Harry and Hermione covered the crate with the invisibility cloak and stepped underneath it themselves. Mummy will never forget you. Um,
0: what do you think about Norbert?
2: I mean... All of that being said, I think there are really nice motivations for Hagrid's monster thing, but also, like, get a fucking grip, Hagrid.
0: You don't like Norbert?
2: Oh, Norbert's a terrible idea. I like Norbert in the book. I mean, separating the two things. I think it's great when Hagrid gets a dragon for reading purposes, obviously. It's so fun. But was Norbert a good plan no, no.
0: I think one of the best lines of the book is when they're arguing with Hagrid about the dragon, and Hermione says, you live in a wooden house.
2: <sighs> Hermione's always saying the thing that every all the readers are thinking. <laughs> like, well, that's gonna burn down. The thing about Norbert that bothers me isn't that Hagrid gets Norbert. It's that these 11-year-olds immediately become responsible <laughs> for Hagrid's horrible decision making
0: man even ron is like stepping up for the plate takes one for the team gets his what is it his arm his hand he gets his hand mangled by norbert
2: yeah actually ron this is the first chapter in these books that i I'm, i really get the ron thing i'm here for ron in this yeah chapter.
0: yeah ron steps it up
2: he does and he really cares
0: He's feeding that dragon Chickens and brandy. He's
2: the only one that actually helps Hagrid. The other ones, I mean, okay, he's the only one that goes and like helps with the sort of care of Norbert. The other two are like trying to figure out a way to get rid of this, but Ron is a lot more understanding of Hagrid's desire to own this thing.
0: Yeah, Hagrid does have a pathology here because he stops doing his job. He does. He's hanging indoors all day, getting bitten by this dragon. Feeding it brandy, probably dipping in himself because he's proven that he has uh, he has predilections toward the bottle.
2: Oh my God, Hagrid has a drinking problem. Yeah, yeah. One <laughs> of Hagrid has a monster problem and an, uh, alcohol, and a, problem. And an
0: alcohol problem, which are combined very... So bad! Such a bad combination. Like, what
2: if you were an yeah, you alcoholic, can... and what you did when you were blackout drunk... Is
0: buy monsters. Buy
2: monsters! <laughs> like, that's not a uh, good combination. I shouldn't have done that. Uh, yeah. Right. Rather than, like, eat a bunch of pizza, what if you just <laughs> came... What if you came to, and you were just covered in tarantulas? And you were like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. I bought so many spiders again. Maybe
0: it's a good thing Hagrid can't do magic. I... I used to think that was really unjust, but...
2: I still, I think it's unjust, but it makes sense when you have any sense (laughs) of Hagrid's, like... Mostly Hagrid's, like, self-control.
0: Another aspect of the dragon that I really like, her dragon biology is really nicely rendered. Oh, yeah. The building. uh, They put, he has to put the egg in the fire... It's coughing, it's all like different... sneezing sparks when it's formed. <laughs> I love the description that he looks like a folded up black umbrella.
2: I know, because that's such a thing in New York City. Just like <laughs> yeah. walking down the They're street. Just, you street see dragon, a...
0: mangled black umbrella dragons You do. Uh, everywhere. Oh, I'm
2: going to think of them as dragons from now on. It's going to make it so nice. Yeah, it's yeah. better. There's all these different freeds, and I like that Ron knows about it. Because Ron is usually like, kind of an idiot. So it's nice to give Ron a time to shine in terms of having, he's like, what do you mean there aren't any dragons in Ireland and England? And he rattles off like three species of them. And you're just like, oh, cool. No, Ron like pays attention. He's just got interests that And are- Harry
0: should have said, bro, I just learned about this seven months ago. No,
2: I mean, but <laughs>
0: <laughs> OK, uh, how was I supposed to know, man? But- I grew up with the Dursleys. We didn't even know what polar bears were.
2: But really, we have to go back to the fact that Hagrid gets a dragon, and it for, totally unclear reasons, immediately becomes the responsibility of Harry, Ron, and Hermione oh to deal with this fact. And they put themselves in enormous peril right. in so many different ways. Because Mal-
0: Malfoy sees the dragon when he, when it's hatching.
2: Right. And Hagrid takes no responsibility for that.
0: Yeah. Hagrid is t- totally gone like psycho, basically.
2: No, you know what I think it actually is? What? I think Hagrid knows that Dumbledore doesn't give a fuck. Ha <laughs> ha Ron and Hermione and Harry are like Jesus Christ Hagrid Dumbledore's gonna find out any day and Hagrid's like I need to tell you something (laughs) Dumbledore is out of his skull he doesn't give a shit if I have a dragon and he can't just be like because he's so he has all this crazy like respect for Dumbledore and he's obsessed with him and blah 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 so he can't just be like Dumbledore is so fucking out of it and senile No, he doesn't care at all about my dragon. He's not
0: senile, he's just working on other more pressing issues.
2: He's senile enough that I think he would think it was fine to have a dragon on campus. He'd
0: probably think it was funny.
2: Clearly he thinks it's fine to have a forest full of monsters as a punishment for children. We will get to that. Just Dumbledore doesn't seem that con- concerned about the presence of monsters. <laughs> Fucking Fluffy lives fluffy, in fluffy the dog. school. Yeah. So I think mostly Haggard is just like, I don't know why you guys are so worried about this. Who the fuck cares if Malfoy tells Dumbledore? It's fine. He doesn't care at all that I have a dragon. But he also doesn't dissuade Harry, Ron, and Hermione from... you know, putting their necks out for him.
0: Yeah, which they really do. They go to bat for him hard.
2: They do, and it super backfires, and it's a disaster. And I feel really bad for them. I have to tell you, when I was a kid, this comes as a surprise to zero of our listeners that know us. When I was a kid, I was really, 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 really afraid of getting in trouble. Like, pathologically afraid. Like, I would come home and cry if, like, someone I knew had gotten in trouble because, like, I just found it disturbing to even think about. And these chapters I found scarier than the chapters where actually scary things happen because the the idea of them getting caught made me so 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 anxious. So like it's reading these again, I'm just like, "Oh, the stakes are a little bit low, but I remember being like, "You guys, you're going to get in so much trouble." I was such a Hermione. I was very, like, well, her- killed or worse, expelled.
0: Well, Hermione does seem more, like, mortified by the fact that she's in McGonagall's office. Forbidden Forest? No big deal. Well, because Hermione
2: is very level-headed and chill mm-hmm. and knows that it's tear Like, it's the worst feeling in the world to get right. in trouble. Getting in trouble is really, it's humiliating in a way when you're that age. Very few other things are hum- humiliating because especially when you're the kind of person who grown-ups like, like when Professor McGonagall is like, Hermione, I thought you had more sense than that. I feel the just like sinking, plummeting shame within Hermione because she's like, yo, I do have more sense than that. These stupid boys are in my head And they're making me do crazy shit, and I should just be studying. I should just be studying. But thank God she doesn't, because she gets involved, and she's great in the adventure parts.
1: McGonagall really goes apeshit on them. I'm disgusted, said Professor McGonagall. Four students out of bed in one night. I've never heard of such a thing before. You, Miss Granger, I thought you had more sense. As for you, Mr. Potter, I thought Gryffindor meant more to you than this. All three of you will receive detentions. Yes, you too, Mr. Longbottom. Nothing gives you the right to walk around school at night, especially these days. It's very dangerous. And fifty points will be taken from Gryffindor. Fifty? Harry gasped. They would lose the lead. The lead he'd won in the last Quidditch match. Fifty points each, said Professor McGonagall, breathing heavily through her long pointed nose. Professor, please. You can't... Don't tell me what I can and can't do, Potter. Now get back to bed, all of you. I've never been more ashamed of Gryffindor students.
2: I've never heard... Voldemort go here? Yeah,
1: Voldemort... You never, like, caught somebody in the
0: bathroom smoking, like, a Wizard Jay?
2: Well, also, we know for a fact that Students have done worse at Hogwarts because a student opened the goddamn Chamber of Secrets.
0: Yeah, Fred and George Weasley go there.
2: Yeah. Also, Fred and George Weasley are <laughs> okay. That actually moves us to the fact that Gryffindors. This is the thing I hate about Gryffindors. They are so fickle. They really are. They lose one hundred and fifty points. They, sh- I mean, which sucks. Like that's a lot of points. But as you said, totally arbitrary. Right. And Gryffindor, the whole house. And also, Harry has just been their hero. In
0: the Quidditch game.
2: And they're just like, fuck this kid. Yeah. We're done with you. You're dead. Get out of the family. You're dead
0: to us. His mates on the Quidditch team just refer to him as the Seeker.
2: And we have to remember that his mates on the Quidditch team include the Weasleys. Right. Who are horrible, horrible, horrible little children. Yeah. I mean, they're the wonderfulest. But... Of all people to understand, sometimes you have to take one for the team and lose one hundred fifty points because you're up to some shenanigans. You'd think the Weasleys would be like, "All right, might happened to us before." I'm sorry, I have to stop doing their accents. It's very
0: Dick Van Dyke.
2: I know it does. Yeah, it's a
0: jolly all the day with you Weasleys.
2: Right, but you know, you'd think the Weasleys of all people would be like, "Yeah, no sweat." because we do that shit all the time. Well, it's
0: J.K.'s continuing exploration of fame, and how temporary it is, and how it can shift on you so fast. There are so many times in these books, and in a way that never seems unrealistic, that Harry has just pulled off some badass, amazing feat, and then something gets fucked up, or he gets blamed for something, or he legitimately does screw something up, and then he's shunned. By yeah, everyone.
2: To a crazy degree. But you're right. It's it's actually pretty true to life. It's I mean, sorry, this is too topical, but I'm going to try it out and we'll see if we keep it. It's interesting in light of Kim Kardashian because you really do see, I mean, people turn on a famous person on a dime. Yeah. And really believe that by virtue of being famous you are deserving of bad things happening to you because you somehow have invited those bad things so harry even says
0: or you can weather it because of your right status. exactly
2: like you have that you are somehow protected from the, just the realities of being a human being by being famous harry even thinks that he's getting it a lot worse than hermione and neville because he's more well known so and yeah,
0: yeah your history is erased up to that moment it's always just the now. most recent thing you did. It is. You it's live so in, internet age. Yeah, you live in a permanent present.
2: Right. And fame does that to you. Fame makes you perpetually you now and gets rid. I mean, fame is really decontextualizing for Harry. And this is a, a sort of a small example, but that is a kind of a big theme, is how famous Harry is kind of conversely, even though he's famous for a really specific thing, It sort of conversely or counterintuitively, his level of fame kind of takes him out of context for people.
0: Yeah, it's almost like his classmates and even his teachers to some extent forget why he's famous. His fame just becomes a fact. Right, his fame
2: becomes, exactly, his fame becomes just sort of a, a, a concrete... Or not, yeah, his fame becomes an intrinsic aspect of his personality as opposed to the result of events.
0: Of a terrible event in this case. And
2: we've talked about this every episode, but it's so, so, so important, especially to early Harry Potter development because Harry's fame, I really think, pulls him out of the realities of other children in his world. I think we've talked about this a little bit, but... Childhood is different in the Wizarding World. Their ideas of peril and of child rearing and of like honestly, they have different concepts of danger and they have different different concepts of discipline. Like it gets super fucked up.
0: Well, clearly, given well,
2: the fucking Forbidden Forest,
0: their detention is in the Forbidden Forest, and we need to talk. We need to talk about wizard disciplinary systems. <laughs> they get a note from McGonagall that says their detention is to start. Uh, At 11 p.m. in the Forbidden Forest, they meet Filch, who—Filch is sketchy to begin with, but as he's leading them to the forest, he describes all the various punishments they used to use on wayward children at Hogwarts.
2: And almost ecstatically, like almost (laughs) orgasmically, talks about how badly he wants to put children— In handcuffs and hang them from the ceiling of his office, like it's gross.
0: And and Malfoy says, "I thought we were just going to be doing lines."
2: Right. And once again, everybody—we're supposed to see Malfoy as this sort of like sniveling idiot, but you're like, "Yeah." Malfoy's got a point. That's so true. Also, isn't it sort of counterproductive to their academic success to be out (laughs) all night like the week before exams? Professor McGonagall is presumably concerned with their academic achievements she and with signed learning. It.
0: She signed this death warrant, basically. No, I
2: know. It's just, I don't under, that seems so out of character for her. It seems like she would be like, let's do something like, you know, unpleasant, but like short and during the day so you don't lose a night of sleep a week before your finals. It's the
0: bureaucracy, man. The rules are the rules, far be it for McGonagall to abuse them, except when it comes to Quidditch.
2: Well, but the assigning of detentions is really arbitrary because they there are all kinds of really insane detentions throughout these books. <laughs> Mostly there's no oversight of what the teachers individually assigned to oversee detention can and cannot do.
0: <laughs> also, I love that their punishment for being out of, at night in the hallways where it's potentially dangerous because Dumbledore has this monster dog is to go to an even more dangerous place and, even scour, more it at night. and scour it for a unicorn-killing monster.
2: Right. There's <laughs> And it's weird that Hagrid is okay with this because Hagrid is just like, well, you guys are late, getting ready to go. And the whole time I want Harry to be like, Hagrid, it is your fault we are here. We 100% took a bullet for you. <laughs> oh, I didn't even think. Like, yeah, he's, Hagrid leading, he's leading, is their leading the detention <laughs> that they were given for covering up for Hagrid's actual crime. Like, Hagrid could go to real jail, not wizard school jail. Oh, for owning God. a dragon, Hagrid could, to, could go to actual <laughs> Azkaban. They covered up hard, problem solved in ways that never. I mean, they super duper problem wow. solved with the Charlie Weasley thing.
0: Hagrid is an asshole.
2: Hagrid is just no accountability. Hagrid is just going to take no accountability and zero responsibility for his actions with Norbert.
0: Did Hagrid come up with a punishment? That's my question. Hagrid's like, oh, well, you know, I've got some free labor tonight. Um, I'm going to deputize them to hunt this unicorn slayer.
2: I have no idea. Also, Hagrid says at one point, he's like, oh, Draco goes, I hear there are werewolves in the forest. And Hagrid is like, nothing in the forest is going to hurt you with me or Fang around, which is manifestly (laughs) and immediately proven false. Because you know who doesn't give a fuck about Fang the Bloodhound is Lord Voldemort. Hagrid is like, oh, you'll be fine. You have my dog. P.S. He's a coward. He's a coward. Practice (laughs) sending sparks up just in case you get murdered.
0: Also, how could they possibly see the sparks? It's a Dark, scary forest.
2: I don't know. It's really a. It's a. It's really an outsized punishment for their fairly innocuous crime.
0: But such a good scene. Also. Oh my god! It's
2: an amazing scene, and like, thank God it exists in the book. It's just an insane way <laughs> to punish children for breaking curfew. And it's especially, you know, the the thing that's hardest. Let's talk for a minute about the Neville body count. Oh my god! Because poor Neville gets detention you get
0: swept up in this
2: every fucking time it's actually it's pretty great that neville's always in these scenes because you we build neville really early on as a character that matters even though it's not apparent until a lot later in this series right. why neville's important but he's just along for the ride a lot which is also just sweet but poor neville was trying to go warn harry because he heard draco cackling about getting them in trouble Sometimes I think maybe Draco's not an asshole. Maybe Draco is just like, this school is off the fucking rails. (laughs) He's like, probably Harry Potter shouldn't have a dragon. And you're like, that's a decent point, Draco. (laughs) Uh,
0: And then Hagrid sticks Neville with Malfoy, the known sociopath.
2: Right, who makes it very, very, very clear that he wants bad things to happen to Neville.
0: Yeah, he literally punches him out in the... (laughs) In an earlier chapter.
2: That's so true.
0: So Hagrid says, go with your assailant into the dark, scary woods where you need to- With a dog. With a dog. With a scaredy dog.
2: Yeah. Um, And then somehow it's surprising that Neville immediately fucks it up because Draco scares him. (laughs) But okay, you're right. That's a quibble with- the fact that it's a really outsized punishment, but it is a phenomenal scene. Oh my god, one of the best scenes. Yeah,
0: the Forbidden Forest is great.
2: I love the centaurs. Centaurs.
0: Mars is bright tonight. It's
2: they're such they're kind of Luna Lovegoody. They're such like literal space cadets.
0: Mars is bright tonight.
2: Thank you. That's, yeah, no, I get it. It's a good, it's a good gag. You've done it twice so far today, but it's a good gag.
0: There's still a lot of episode left.
1: (laughs) Ronan sighed. He flung back his head and stared at the sky. Mars is bright tonight. Yeah, said Hagrid, glancing up to. Listen, I'm glad we've run into you, Ronan, because there's a unicorn been heard. You seen anything? Ronan didn't answer immediately. He stared unblinkingly upward, then sighed again. Always the innocent are the first victims, he said. So it has been for ages past, so it is now. Yeah, said Hagrid. But have you seen anything, Ronan? Anything unusual? Mars is bright tonight, Ronan repeated, while Hagrid watched him impatiently. Unusually bright. Yeah, but I was meaning anything unusual a bit nearer home.
2: It's actually kind of a relief that the centaurs think that the concerns of wizards are really dumb. Bane yeah. and Ferens and Ronan are kind of like, you guys have your stuff, and we have the truth
0: of the stars,
2: and your thing's not that important.
0: Yeah. Ruddy stargazers.
2: <laughs> Never try to get a straight answer out of them. Another thing that's fun about the centaurs is they sort of they expand the universe nicely because yes. so far we only really have human magical characters. And I mean, I you know we meet a couple of goblins briefly at Gringotts, but um, they're just, it's
0: they're service goblins.
2: They are they're service industry goblins and
0: spokes goblin.
2: It's nice to see J.K. Rowling kind of pulling back the curtain on how much wider this world is gonna get. And the other thing that's really interesting to me is that Voldemort is so powerful and so evil that his actions affect more than humanity.
0: And there's clearly been a raging debate about this in the centaur community. Which
2: is fascinating. And you get just a little hint of it, but Mm -hmm. you can tell that they are trying really, really hard to come up with a centaur policy toward the wizarding war.
0: Well, I like that there's some hostility The first, uh, not the first, because there's the goblins, obviously, earlier. But we meet the centaurs, and they're not good or bad. They're just kind of... Apart. And a little menacing.
2: Right. I mean, they're menacing, but they're also clearly touchy. And it sounds like for good reason. And we learn later on, for really good reason, touchy about wizards' desire to turn all non-wizard magical creatures into subjects of wizard rule. (laughs) So there's that scene, which is really, it's actually a really compelling little moment. Bane yells at Ferenz for having Harry on his back. He says, what are you, a common mule? And it's like, you get this like class struggle, like this just this flash of it, and it's super subtle. It lays the groundwork for the house elves. It lays for a lot of the conflicts, even there's goblin conflicts later on. And at various points, Voldemort takes advantage of
0: Yeah, these cleavages in right. wizarding society.
2: Like these wedge issues that the sort of feckless ministry has created. Jesus Christ, it's Trump.
0: Voldemort's smarter.
2: Why no, but I mean, in terms of taking advantage right. of people feeling downtrodden by the powerful to make them be on the side of evil because the side of good has treated them like shit. Ugh. That bummed me out.
0: Bad businessman.
2: Oh. Well.
0: Speaking of Voldemort. Oh. I mean, he who must not be named.
2: No, we're, but yeah. I don't know if you guys noticed, but we say it. We say it. We are brave like Dumbledore and dumb like Harry. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to say his name. The reason that they're in the Forbidden Forest is that unicorns have been murdered, which is a big, big, big deal because they're these perfectly innocent, perfectly beautiful creatures that nobody dares kill because it's like a curse to kill one. But they're also really powerful. Their blood is really powerful. And of course, because fucking duh, Hagrid, the creature (laughs) killing them is the Dark Lord. Yes. Living disgustingly in Coral's turban. (laughs) We will get to that shit. Like a fungus on on
0: Coral's head
2: so gross. But, right, it's Voldemort killing the unicorns. Zero people surprised by that.
0: Uh, everybody ends up being surprised by this.
2: Well, if, if you're a reader, it's dramatic irony. Even- because as a reader, you're like, <laughs> yeah, it's fucking Voldemort.
0: Mm, I wonder, Ferenc has to, friends has to like bang it into Harry's head. He's like, okay, think about this.
2: <laughs> well, but to be fair, Harry doesn't really understand the extent of Voldemort yet.
1: Harry Potter. Do you know what unicorn blood is used for? No, said Harry, startled by the odd question. We've only used the horn and tail hair in potions. That is because it is a monstrous thing to slay a unicorn, said Ferenzi. Only one who has nothing to lose and everything to gain would commit such a crime. The blood of a unicorn will keep you alive, even if you are an inch from death, but at a terrible price— You have slain something pure and defenseless to save yourself, and you will have but a half-life, a cursed life, from the moment the blood touches your lips. Harry stared at the back of Ferenzi's head, which was dappled silver in the moonlight. But who would be that desperate, he wondered aloud. If you're going to be cursed forever, death's better, isn't it? It is, Ferenzi agreed, unless... All you need is to stay alive long enough to drink something else, something that will bring you back to full strength and power, something that will mean you can never die. Mr. Potter, do you know what is hidden in the school at this very moment? The sorcerer's stone, of course, the elixir of life, but I don't understand who— can you think of nobody who has waited many years to return to power, who has clung to life, awaiting their chance? It was as though an iron fist had clenched suddenly around Harry's heart.
2: Also, Harry's scar hurts for the first time. And so it establishes that link between... Or like that Harry has this special...
0: Spider sense, basically, for For Voldemort. Voldemort's
2: presence and for Voldemort's emotion. Because when Voldemort is having a really intense experience of any sort, Harry's scar hurts more. So he's really, really, really tied into voldemort's experiences which is so scary so good god she does that so well because that's so upsetting it's like what if your worst enemy caused you physical pain when they had an emotion that's such a good plot device Ugh, it's horrifying yeah but harry comes face to face with voldemort for the first time since he was a little baby and voldemort is really scary in this book
0: Yes, but the description of the slithering sound and, you know, the hood.
2: And the blood dribbling down mm-hmm. his front. Because I think later on, one of the weaknesses that sort of develops, and I think this is true of any book where the villain is sort of evil incarnate, is he gets kind of cartoony.
0: Yeah, I've seen him described as a Bond villain later on, where you can almost see him, like, stroking. Well, he doesn't have a cat. He has a big... Big ass snake and that's cackling like, like,
2: like eh, no
0: Mr. Potter I expect you to die <laughs>
2: <laughs> so I think that's a, an apt description of late books Voldemort right. he gets a little I find that he gets a little bit lame but early Voldemort before he's back to full corporeal form and power is so eerie I love that she has him sort of emerge into the world in all of these sort of shadow forms so he's this He's this wraith that you can't quite get your hands all the way around, which is way scarier than just right. like a bad dude.
0: Well, it's why Tolkien and the Lord of the Rings never there's there's no scene with Sauron. He's just this disembodied malevolence that hovers over the book,
2: right? Oops. Which is more effective, right? Which and so yeah, Voldemort in this first book is the idea that he's sort of. Inhabiting a host like a parasite, like an evil, parasitic, vampiric. I mean, well, there's obviously really overt vampire imagery in this first description or this first depiction of Voldemort. And it's so profoundly fucking scary.
0: And that he's drinking the unicorn blood.
2: Right. which, Which is
0: the most fucked up thing you can do.
2: Right. It sets him apart automatically as not just bad, but like. So utterly corrupt and so utterly bankrupt that he knows that he need not be redeemable. Right. Like, he's like, I am making this choice because I have no reason to think that there's any going back. So he, like, does this unforgivable thing. And not unforgivable by wizards, but unforgivable within the bonds of good and evil in the world. Like, it's agreed upon by all the magical creatures that you can't kill a unicorn.
0: His depravity is well-established.
2: It is. And just when they look into each other's eyes and the scar hurts and then Harry passes, I mean, it's so scary. Really, truly chilling. Ugh, Voldemort's a really good villain in this one. And sometimes I'm kind of looking back on this first book with some nostalgia because later on I don't find Voldemort quite as effective. But that's fine because later we get all these other sort of secondary villains that are top notch.
0: So, Heather, who's your unsung hero for this episode?
2: My unsung hero is Charlie Weasley who super competently and with pretty minimal problem comes to the rescue and gets Norbert the Norwegian Ridgeback and solves all these problems because they don't have to kill him. They don't have to just set him free. Oh,
0: if they had to put down Norbert.
2: I mean, that's the most logical solution. (laughs) sorry that's dark but really he's a dragon he's a monster <laughs> so yeah charlie weasley is charlie just gets like it done he gets it super done he just sends his friends they're on a broom they have like a cool harness he's real chill about it he's like sure i'll get your illegal dragon might be a bit tricky but we'll figure it out good luck little bro do well in your finals kisses to mum. Like XX Charlie, <laughs> he's so chill and so competent. I like that. I think all the Weasley brothers like have that in common. There's a lot of, there's a lot of times when the Weasleys are just kind of these like sexy, get it done, redheaded everymen. I like Bill and Charlie both a lot. Just I find the them really hot.
0: Ginger Brigade, man. Just the
2: Ginger Brigade, getting it done, solving problems.
0: My unsung hero is Ferenz. He, he's kind of sung, but he deserves to be sung even more. He does because he gets. Harry's ass out of the forest, and he's also paying attention.
2: Yeah, he is. Mars is bright.
0: Makes the Voldemort connection immediately, fills in Harry on his destiny, and stands up to uh, his brother Centaurs and says, I'm not going to be a Voldemort appeaser.
2: Yeah, he's not. He's like, look, this is Harry Potter. It's really spooky when they're talking about, like, haven't you seen what's happening in the stars? And Harry Destiny. runs back. And he's like, clearly Voldemort is supposed yeah. to kill me. And the centaurs <laughs> just fucking told me this. Nobody is looking out for Harry's psychological nope, safety. Friends is,
0: though. Friends is like, we got to get you out of here, man.
2: And Bane is just like, you should have let him die. It's I've got what the stars want.
0: Friends is like, I've got your back. Now get on my back.
2: Oh, my God. <laughs> and yeah,
0: And Bane and Rowan are like,
2: the leave star, him to yeah. die.
0: The stars said, you should be murdered.
2: And Harry gets back, and he just tells Ron and Hermione, like, by the way, the centaur says I'm supposed to die really soon, so let's hope that doesn't happen. And they're like, oh, that sucks. <laughs> no, Hermi- kinda- Hermione's like, I
0: don't know. Prophecy is kind of willy business.
2: I like that about Hermione. She, no, she reassures him. She doesn't, Mm -hmm. I don't think she minimizes it. She's just like, Professor McGonagall says that fortune telling is not very good, so you're probably fine. He needs to hear that from somebody. Mm -hmm. Because Ron is just like, shit, mate. (laughs) Rough go of it.
0: Oh, yeah. Too bad we've got exams in a week.
2: (laughs) I think I just have to briefly sing Neville, too, who goes way out of his way to protect Harry and just... Neville does a really good deed and he gets in super big trouble for it and it sucks. When Harry can hear Neville crying the oh, entire oh. night, it's such a sad part when he's like, Neville is just sobbing into so his pillow. So many for-
0: Neville tears in this book. This book is just drowning in Neville tears. <laughs> oh, poor Psychological, Cindy. physical pain.
2: Yeah. He has a hard road to hoe. My yeah.
0: other minor unsung hero is Norbert's teddy bear,
2: who he promptly who, murders, who's
0: decapitated.
2: Hagrid's so creepy about stuff like that. <laughs> like, don't give your dragon a pet.
0: I just, I love when they can hear Teddy being ripped to shreds in the crate.
2: Yeah, it's a great scene. <laughs> yeah, that's a great little detail. It's amazing.
0: I packed his teddy bear.
2: <laughs> Hagrid, give me a fucking break, man. <laughs> So that's it. I mean, that's what happens in these chapters. I, a ton, obviously. Yeah.
0: We're coming back next week with the big finale.
2: Oh, yeah. Everybody's going to finish. Grab your little package. So next week we've got Through the Trap Door, which is, I just have to preface the next episode, the best chapter in the Harry Potter canon.
0: Damn, that is...
2: Or I would say maybe... That's a high bar. At least, like, top ten. Through the trapdoor killer gonna be so good get excited and then the man with two faces which is great too obviously you know everything ends it's gonna be great it's a conclusion so tune in for that
0: this week's episode was brought to you by the unicorn protection league just say no to unicorn blood seriously (laughs) you'll live a half life
2: yeah you'll be cursed forever you'll be
0: cursed forever this is your brain on unicorn blood
2: (laughs) The audiobook clips come from Jim Dale's performance of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone available on Pottermore, on Audible, or wherever else you get your audiobooks. And that's about it. Please subscribe on iTunes. Please, please, please rate and review us on iTunes. That is a huge help to us. Shout out to Elizabeth Margaret Rose Hodge Parker, who was our first review.
0: Friend of the podcast. Yeah. I think she liked it. I think it was a good review.
2: Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I wouldn't be shouting it out if it was a bad review. If Shut my, up. one of my best friends for the last, like, multiple decades was like, eh. No. Betsy, thank you. Everybody be like Betsy. Go leave us a review. It's really, really nice and helpful, and it boosts our little egos a little bit. So, thanks.
0: Oh, sorry. Um, thanks, amigos. Bye.
2: See you next week.
1: Mars is bright tonight. We've heard...